Welcome to Inside EcoDevo, a podcast giving you an inside look into the Missouri Department of Economic Development, where you'll hear directly from our team members and partners working on exciting initiatives that are helping Missourians prosper. On this episode, we're discussing the Missouri Technology Corporation implementation plan and sitting down with us as a returning guest, and I'll let him introduce himself. Eric, thank you. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to come back and discuss MTC with your listeners. You know, hopefully we can uh, add more content, start bringing in uh, some of our other senior staff to talk about their programs as well moving forward. And just for that introduction, in case anybody didn't listen to the last one, uh, name, title, what yes. you do and all that. So I'm Jack Scatizzi. I'm the executive director of Missouri Technology Corporation, and we are a public-private partnership created by Missouri uh, General Assembly for the purposes of catalyzing innovation and entrepreneurship uh, with the hope of driving economic development impact within the state. At top, I mentioned we're going to be talking about the implementation plan that MTC has, but before we get into all the ins and outs and the outline of Mm -hmm. that, can you just tell us what is the implementation plan and what is the purpose of it? Yes. And, you know, probably, you know, worth spending some time on that before we actually talk about the content. So a little background in, I believe it was uh, February of 2022, Missouri Technology Corporation, in partnership with Economy Partners, which was a a consultant group we brought in to kind of help us with a a strategic initiative, published the Catalyzing Innovation Report. And that report identified five challenges and proposed five strategies and then 16 action items within those strategies for Missouri to implement in order to meet or be above our peers in driving innovation um, and entrepreneurship for the purposes of, of long-term economic development in the state. That report was actually written by Teconomy with Teconomy's recommendations. So following that report, last fall, we put out the fiscal 23 implementation plan, which was where we said, all right, here's what Teconomy suggests, but Teconomy doesn't have a full understanding and Neither did we ask them to of what our resources are or what our you know actual priorities are. And so we used last year's implementation plan kind of as the bridge of here's the big, broad 10-year plan, but here's what MTC is going to specifically be focused on, and here's where our efforts are going to be over the next couple of fiscal years. And, and we took those five strategies and we took those 16 recommendations and kind of went through them and said, all right, these are things that MTC is going to lead on. And we're going to try to start moving on this in fiscal 23, or this is something MTC is going to lead on, but it's probably not going to be implemented until like fiscal 25 or fiscal 26, or these are are things that MTC can be a partner on, but we're going to need to find another organization to lead. So that's broadly what the implementation plan was last year was how do we bridge from the Catalyze Innovation Report to how do we actually get to something tangible that MTC and our stakeholders can look at and say, okay, I understand what MTC's priorities are. I understand how they're going to start achieving these larger goals within the Catalyze Innovation Report. What we're now doing is every year we're putting out a new implementation plan. And this now allows us to say, here's what we did last year. And here's how we can compare it to what we said we were going to do last year. Here's what we're going to do this year. And here's what we're going to do in the years looking forward. So we're always kind of giving someone or our stakeholders a, a roadmap of Where are we going and what are our priorities for that year? But then also keeping track of where are we in achieving the objectives of the broader strategies and action items identified in the Catalyze Innovation Report. A lot to break down there that I'm sure we'll get to it (laughs) as we kind of roll through our questions here. Let's just roll into Mm -hmm. what are the, what's the overview and the key objectives that you're outlining for this coming fiscal year? 
Yeah, so one of the unique aspects of us doing this on an annual basis is it does really allow us to tailor our plan to our annual appropriation from the state for that year. So I would say the broad objectives are how do we keep working towards the bigger goals identified in Catalyze Innovation? But how are we going to show our stakeholders how we're going to be deploying the capital or the the capital that was provided to us through our annual appropriation? So that's the broad roadmap is, all right, here's where we're working over time, but here's what we're going to specifically be putting our energy and, and the capital from the state through our appropriation into. Do you have details that you can share on what's in the in this current uh, implementation plan? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a lot of continuation of some of our core programs. So that's the MOBEC grant program, which is grant-based funding to entrepreneurial support organizations and universities for the purposes of expanding the state's entrepreneurial capacity, which is actually what it stands for, Missouri Building Entrepreneurial Capacity, MOBEC. High-level overview is that This is grant-based funding that goes to organizations that are providing the resources to the state's entrepreneurs that they need to grow their businesses within the state. Could be mentoring, could be curriculum-based, could be, you know, a a number of things. We kind of let each organization, each region come to us with what are the solutions and and what are the programs that they're doing in their region. And then we fund the most competitive ones. Uh, So that's one of our our core programs, and and that's in the implementation plan, and and that's being continued. Funding is being increased from pretty significantly because we got a a rather significant increase in our annual appropriation from what we had been funding at over the past couple of years. In the spring, we launched a physical infrastructure grant program. Again, the the goal of this is to provide grant-based funding to the organizations that are providing the actual physical infrastructure where entrepreneurs can work so they don't have to work at home. Where can they have access to meeting rooms? Where can they have access to conference rooms? Where can they have access to high-speed internet? Things like that. And so we're trying to make sure entrepreneurs in the state have access to all of the things they need to grow their businesses, both teaching and resources and mentorship, but also actual physical places to grow their businesses. So in the implementation plan, we're moving that from a pilot program to an actual full-time grant program. That, again, is going to launch in the spring with increased funding as well, and that's going to be one of our core programs moving forward. The third program that's involved in the implementation plan is um, we just launched this fall a regional node planning grant program, and so we're providing small amounts of money to organizations that want to develop a regional node. And so this spring, we're going to actually launch the full grant program. And then that'll give us three core grant programs, MOBEC, Physical Infrastructure, and Regional Node. And and they all kind of work together because Regional Node is what we're asking is for regions to come together with all of their resources and create a single front door for that region. So that if any entrepreneur says, you know, I'm in Joplin and I need help growing my business, there's one place for that entrepreneur to go in Joplin or in in Southwest Missouri and be able to get access to all of the resources that region can offer. And then as we grow the nodes, we can then start to connect the nodes. And now an entrepreneur, say in Joplin, who's working with their regional node that needs a resource that that regional node isn't able to provide, can maybe connect with the Kansas City node or a St. Louis node or a Cape Girardeau node. So that's broader vision of how we're doing our grant-based funding. And and that's kind of, this is the first year where we're starting to outline all three of those programs, how they're being funded and how they're going to work together in the implementation plan. So that's under the bucket of strategy two within the Catalyze Innovation Report, which is, I think, uh, grow and expand. I've got my terminology correct. On strategy one of the Catalyze Innovation Report is fund. 
And so what we started in fiscal 23 and what we're continuing in fiscal 24 is we were awarded $95 million of ARPA funding through Treasury's uh, SSBCI program. MTC is responsible for managing that funding on behalf of the state. And we put a significant portion of that funding into our state-sponsored venture capital program. And so we're going to continue doing our, our direct investments through our idea fund throughout fiscal year year 24. So a, a lot yes. in, in the implementation plan. Up top, you were talking about, and I'm blanking on, on the name, so I apologize, but the organization that you were working with to kind of outline different aspects to target or to focus on. Why specifically these action items, I guess I'll just call them, versus anything else that you could have uh, highlighted? No, that's a great question. So I think you're referring to economy partners? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so economy partners, we engaged them probably closer to two years ago now. And they are a leader in what they consider the innovation economy. And they are a leader more in the research and kind of the strategies of how states and how organizations can drive economic development through innovation economy. They've actually worked on a number of similar plans uh, within the state. I think they've worked with Greater St. Louis on the uh, geospatial plan. They worked previously with Missouri on what was called the Patel Report, which was kind of a precursor to Catalyze Innovation Report. Um, So they've got a, a strong history of working in Missouri and also working broader nationally within the innovation economy. And so what we asked them to do, and, and they went through a, a very rigorous six-month process that involved both qualitative analysis of comparing us to our peer states and quantitative analysis of actually talking with multiple stakeholders and both through digital surveys, and I think they conducted over 100 interviews. We also had, I think it was six open public meetings, uh, one in each region and then one for all state. And so they brought all sources of you know quantitative data how Missouri aligns with our peer states. And then qualitative data is what does each region say its problems are? And that's where they came up with the five challenges. And then the five challenges led to the five strategies. And then the five strategies led to the 16 action items. So that's how we got there. And again, if you look at Catalyze Innovation, that is their suggestions for how Missouri can become a leader in catalyzing innovation and entrepreneurship for the purposes of long-term economic development in the state. The implementation plan allows us to look at what they recommended and say, well, we may not fully agree with that, but here's how we're going to achieve that same approach. But we're going to do it in a more Missouri-based focus, or we're going to do it in the the best way that we can, the most effective or efficient way we can with the resources we have, either staff or capital provided by the state or, or a number of things like that. So any potential challenges or obstacles that MTC is anticipating you know, and things to do to overcome those so you can execute these strategies. I mean, obviously you can't see every obstacle, but I'd imagine you have something built in that's going to allow you to be flexible in some degree. Yeah, so that's a great question. I'll answer it twofold. So the first is going to be kind of generic, which is anytime someone puts together a five to 10 year plan, there's always just challenges and how do you break it down and how do you start executing and how do you focus on both near term and long term? And how do you not get lost in the weeds of the near term and not lose your vision of where you're supposed to be long term? Or how do you not be too focused on long term and miss opportunities to execute in near term? So that's broad, but I think that's analogous to anyone in any business that that puts out a five to 10 year plan. It's great. We have a five to 10 year plan. The execution of how we get there becomes a, a challenge in itself. You know, the one more unique to MTC, and, and I would suggest, you know, DED and, and other state organizations are in this. 
some nonprofits may may be in this as well, but I don't necessarily know that this would be a challenge that a normal business would see is we have varying levels of annual funding because the the majority of our funding comes through through a state appropriation. The added wrinkle is if we were to just project out consistent revenue over a five to 10 year period, it would be a lot easier to be able to say, well, here's exactly what we're going to do because we know we can build on programs or things like that. But when we're getting a lot of funding one year, possibly back to low funding the next year, possibly back up to high funding, it just creates another challenge for us of how do we continue to build forward. But in the years where we've gotten a significant boost in our appropriation, how are we ramping up near-term efforts to make sure the funding that we've been given is expended or awarded in both the most efficient and effective manner possible, but in ways that align with our overall mission. So I think that adds a unique challenge to us as public-private partnership that unlike a business, I can't just sit there and say, well, we're going to get $10 million in revenue. And if we do this stuff, I think I'm going to grow 10%. So next year I'm going to be at $11 million. And then I think the year after that, I'm going to be at 12 and a half, like where you can then actually very easily plan out five or five or six years. Since we have that variability of what our, our state appropriation is each year, it then makes an individual year's implementation plan more critical because we're literally saying, all right, here's the money we got. Here's what we're going to do with it. We'll have to deal with fiscal year 25 when we know what our fiscal year 25 um, appropriation is. So did did that make sense? Yeah. So I think what you're saying is uh, boiling it all kind of down. Since you're doing these implementation plans each year, even though you have a five-year plan or however long of a plan, you're adjusting it as you're marching towards the end goal, basically. Exactly. Based on what we're getting from the state in our annual appropriation, we're either able to put more money into MOBAC or more money into physical infrastructure, or we're able to launch new grant programs, or we're kind of scaling those back and focusing more on, all right, we're scaling back a little bit, but what are the core programs that we need to be doing in order to stay on our five to 10 year plan? You mentioned long-term vision, long-term goals. How does this current implementation plan align with that? Really strongly. And so again, you know, as we kind of take the two different looks at it, you know, long-term this year, we're going to have hopefully fully established our three core grant programs, MOBAC, regional node, and physical infrastructure. And we think with those three as the core grant programs moving forward, our support for expanding entrepreneurial capacity in the state will be really solid, which then allows us looking forward. And again, based on annual appropriations, we can now add one-off programs, either pilots or individual ones or ones that may grow into core ones to identify specific needs or to fill specific gaps based on the funding that we receive. So This year, we received a very healthy appropriation from the state, and so we're launching a new pilot grant program based on investor education. We've never done this before, but we've identified that we think investor education is something that if MTC can provide capital and if entrepreneur support organizations or universities can put together investor education plans, we think that will help boost the state's economic output, or that will make more capital available for the early stage startups uh, in the state. And we think that will have have an impact. If this is successful, and if we continue getting strong appropriations from the state, we may end up doing this on an every year basis. But since we had some extra funding, we said, well, let's put some money into solving what a, a problem that we've noticed. And I think that ideally would be something that we'd like to do moving moving forward is each year, every couple of years, if we've got a, a strong appropriation from the state, 
what is a problem that we've noticed and can we start to build grant programs and can we start moving money into the ecosystem to start addressing them? And, and if we fund some pilot programs, can those pilot programs then graduate to things that we fund through MOBEC or, or some of our other core programs? I know we're talking about the implementation plan. Mm -hmm. A couple of times now you have mentioned new grant programs and new mm -hmm. uh, avenues that you guys are exploring to help entrepreneurs in, in, in tech industry and all that. Can we just take a little bit of a sidestep and can you explain some of those new programs just Certainly. for context? Again, if we go back to the Catalyze Innovation Report, the first strategy was funding. You know, essentially, they identified that the state needed to put more capital and energy into funding its, its early stage high growth potential technology based companies. And so we, as I mentioned, we received funding through the SSBCI program out through Treasury. And so we've been able to put more capital into our idea fund program, which is state sponsored venture capital. But we're also looking at identifying some of the gaps and some of the holes. And so one of the things we've noticed is there isn't always a lot of matching funds available, especially for the earliest investments that we've made. And, and in order for MTC to close an investment, we require a minimum of a one-to-one -one match of private capital. One of the things our, our, our team looked at and said was, well, if we have some extra money from the state, and if we've identified a gap where we just don't think there's a lot of active early angel investors in the state, how can we address that? And we said, well, let's put together a grant program. We're hoping to launch a grant program in, in probably February or March, but the idea is like, let's see if we can get the entrepreneur support organizations in the state to develop angel uh, education courses. And if people start getting educated on angel investing as an asset class, will they become more comfortable investing in that asset class? And will that create more capital in the ecosystem? And then can that capital go to some of our earlier stage companies that we've awarded funding to, and then can we use that to close our investment? So we're trying to start to marry some of our grant-based programming with some of the needs that we're seeing on, on our state-sponsored venture capital side, if that makes sense. I mean, on top of that, the Catalyze Innovation Report, they had 16 recommendations. Eventually, over time, we hope to get to all 16 of those. But as I said, you know, when we've got strong appropriations, we're going to try to launch as many programs as possible, get them up and running, and so that we've got them going if we ever come back down on an appropriation. So that's another one of the challenges is, you know, how are we marrying rolling new programs out with funding levels to make sure that we've got the capital to actually support these new programs moving forward versus trying to roll out new programs when we're maybe on a down appropriation year. Any success stories recently from businesses or entrepreneurs either related to the grant programs, whether they're established ones or new ones, or people who have benefited from the directions of the implementation plan? I was thinking on the drive down, and, and I think, you know, I'll, I'll mention two companies that we've made direct investments in, but I think they tie a lot of what we do together. So the first one I'll start with is Kremenek Nanotech, and they're based out of Columbia. And when we first made an investment in them, maybe two or three years ago, it was two students. They were just graduating college, um, and they were taking what they had developed in college, and they were trying to develop in, in, into a company. The core of what they've developed or the technology is they essentially have, for lack of a better term, an antimicrobial powder. And so they have a powder, and when microbes or bacteria come in contact with it, they pretty much die instantly. Interestingly, we made our first investment in them right on the front end of COVID. So it was kind of a hot time to get into, you know, my, microbial and uh, antimicrobial and, and things like that. Our first investment was matched. Um, I think they raised a little over a million dollars total. So there was healthy 
participation from from the private sector, but they use that first million or million and a half dollars to really kind of understand where this product actually fits. And so the the first offering that they went to was actually as a surface coatant. And they thought in hospitals, if you could coat it with their antimicrobial, that that would be great. And you could maybe even work it into the upholstery. And so then in the waiting rooms of hospital where people are sneezing and things like that, as soon as you sneeze on the couch, the couch would destroy all of the microbes in it. And then it would be a, a better, safer waiting room or again, surface area in, in, in the patient room or, or in, in the doctor's office. Unfortunately, and this is kind of funny, but also just kind of how business works, like that's a great idea on paper. When they actually went to the people that were making the couches and the things, they said, so our only colors are charcoal gray and black. And they're like, yeah. Great for decades. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, yeah, no one's going to buy our couches, even if they're the best antimicrobial out there, if we only offer (laughs) charcoal gray and black. And they're like, huh hadn't thought about that. So to give them credit, they, they quickly pivoted and, and they went in a couple other directions, including, you know, like water filters, like think about a Brita filter. You've got the charcoal that's kind of pulling impurities out, but what if you'd put antimicrobials in there? Now you're pulling the antimicrobials out of, of your water. They looked at doing it, you know, like under the sink and they talked about hospitals. And again, they kind of found out that again, on paper, this is great, but the actual implementation and the market may not be there for that. But what they stumbled into is there's a real need in brewing and winemaking and apple cider because, and also I think in, you know, kombucha and, and some drinks like that, because all of those, you have to kill the bacteria before you can actually sell it. And there's really only two ways to kill bacteria, heat or chemicals. Both change the flavor profile. So if you're now dealing with microbrews and, you know, cider makers and winemakers who pride themselves on flavor and natural, you're forcing them to kind of go into an an unnatural process to get to the final product because it has to be shelf-stable for X amount of time. What they found is their filters actually work. They're actually better than heat or chemical in that they kill more and they actually have a a more stable shelf life, but it doesn't destroy the flavor profile at all. So they've actually gotten a lot of adoption, especially in in central Missouri and winemakers and in in the brewing industry, because they think this is going to give them an advantage because it creates a more natural product and and it has the more natural uh, flavor profile. But Somewhere in between there, we ended up awarding them with another investment. And so they're in the process of closing that round where we'll invest. But I highlighted Kremenek because it shows the power of us making a small investment. We, we took a very promising technology that didn't really know what the market was. And we and others were able to provide them the funding that got them to where they are. Now they're in an actual market. Now they have actual customers. Now they have people using it and paying them to use it. And now we're providing them extra capital so that they can start to grow Salesforce and, and, and things like that. But the other thing I want to highlight is they're working out of the Missouri Innovation Center in Columbia. Missouri Innovation Center has been funded through MTC both as an innovation center, both as a MOBEC grantee, and they recently won a physical infrastructure grant from us. So again, this shows how our two types of programs are aligned. The grant funding expands the state's entrepreneurial capacity. It allows entrepreneurs to grow their businesses. And then when their businesses grow, we then have a state-sponsored venture capital program that we can invest in the most promising or the strongest investment opportunities out of them. And so our, our actions are actually married together in that 
the more work we do enhancing the entrepreneurial capacity of the state, the better the investment opportunities we get, the better the investment opportunities to get. We'll eventually get stronger financial returns. Those returns can be put back into our efforts to expand entrepreneurial capacity. That's really interesting. You talking about that that business and the evolution, I guess, of them trying to figure out how their idea and their their product can can get to market and and be successful. And I'm guessing you guys are working, obviously not probably working with them to figure that out, but you're working with them with funding throughout that process. On our state sponsored venture capital side, we are passive investors. We will hold a board observer seat so that we can see what's going on. But our intention is that the matching funds, so let's say it's a million dollar round and let's say MTC makes a $250,000 investment. So we're, to make the math easy, we're 25%. Our expectation is that the other $750,000 in the round is actually the one that is offering the more hands-on training and working with the company. Just because at capacity, we, we can't provide that. But we do, like I said, we'll take a, a board observer role so we can follow the companies. And then that's where when new investment opportunities come in, it's easier for us to then say, okay, well, now you're raising $5 million. Well, let's do half a million dollars type of thing, because well, we've been following you for 18 to 24 months. We've seen the progress you've made. We've been on your board. It, it's, a, it's easier for us to make a, a larger investment in companies that we've, we've seen execute. What's the excitement level like in the office when you're following a company like that? Because that, I mean, you just telling me about it. I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And it's happening right here in Missouri. So it's a lot more exciting when I tell it in three minutes than when you watch it over three years. But what I would say is MTC has been doing state-sponsored venture capital since 2011. So we've invested, you know, approaching $50 million in, in, into well over 150 companies. So there's always some company that's achieving progress in any week or, or two-day period or, or monthly period. So there's always something moving forward. But you have to sometimes take a step back and say, oh, well, what have they done over 18 months? That's the really impressive part. I mean, I know, you know, with with Jesse and, you know, Adam over at Kremenak, I mean, throughout the process, as they were iterating, I, you know, we I was making personal introductions to them. You know, when they were looking at a filter to go underneath a sink, I, I connected them to my cousin who works for Delta Faucet. And they had a conversation about what could or couldn't do. When they were talking about, you know, using the filter in hospitals for MRSA and, and for, uh, for some other stuff like that, you know, I connected them with, with the Mercy system in St. Louis and, and they were able to have a conversation with them. And so that did help them through some of their process of trying to figure out like where this works or, or where this doesn't work. So we try to be as helpful and beneficial as we can, but our desire is that whoever is matching our funding, that they'll actually be the one sitting down with the entrepreneur saying, all right, let's look at your budget. Let's look at this. Let, let, let's do more of that, that stuff. I might've asked you this on the first episode when we talked, but how do you guys decide on which startups or entrepreneurs that you're going to get invested with? Obviously this company that we've been talking about makes sense because it was happening around COVID, mm-hmm. antimicrobial, very topical, very relevant, probably going to be a lot of interest. Mm-hmm. Aside from the pinpoint obvious ones, how do you guys decide which ones are worth getting invested in and which ones may not be, well, I wasn't going to say not worth it, but maybe the investment isn't as strong. Exactly. So I'll answer broadly and then specifically and broadly because our grant 
and our state sponsor venture capital program kind of follow the same blueprint, which is we announce that there's an open application period. We collect applications. There's an internal review of the applications. And then generally the top quarter to third advance to our investment committee. And then generally they're making a presentation to our investment committee. And there's an opportunity for our investment committee to ask questions. And then after what is generally an all-day meeting, which has anywhere from probably 8 to 11 either companies or organizations presenting, because, again, this is the same process we'll do for some of our larger grant programs, the investment committee will sit down, look at what we've budgeted for either the cycle or this program, and then make recommendations for funding. That recommendation is then put in front of our executive committee, and then those recommendations are put in front of our board, and then our board actually approves uh, the investments or the grant. Now, the one deviation I'll make is in the state-sponsored venture capital, we require matching funds. So we can be a little more liberal in awarding an investment because it's now up to the company to raise the matching funds. And so at the end of the day, the market is actually identifying which investments we close or don't. So let's say we go to a company and we say, hey, you said you want to raise $3 million, somewhere in the two to $3 million range. We'll allocate or we'll award a $250,000 investment in your company. You know, we want to be approximately 10% of the round. So you go out and raise the money. If they're able to raise the money, we'll close our investment and it's a win. You know, MTC was able to, to be maybe a catalyst in, in driving the investment closing, but the public sector spoke. 90% of the funds in the round came from the public sector, which then gives us kind of a sigh of relief, say, great, we thought it was a good investment opportunity. Well, the, the public sector did too. But if we ever award funding into a company that the public sector doesn't view as a, a good investment opportunity, well, then the matching funds are never raised and, and we never closed around. So we do have a fail-safe in there in that it isn't just our investment committee or our board trying to decide what are the best investment opportunities. We're awarding investments, but it's on the company to go out and raise the matching funds, and it's on the company to leverage our investment to, to close that round, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Through that work and you know promoting entrepreneurship across the state, what kind of challenges does MTC face when doing that? The biggest challenge we have is probably aligning the innovation and entrepreneurship cycle with, say, the political cycle. So let's continue talking about Kremenak. So we made our first investment in them two, two and a half years ago. We're now getting ready to make a, a second investment in them, hopefully probably in the next six months or so. But they're still a, a small company. Um, maybe they're starting to approach six, eight people, maybe a dozen if you start to count when they scale up to a sales force. That's a good economic development impact. But we're not quite at a strong economic development impact. And we're probably two to three years away from them being at 20 to 30 people with multiple million dollars of revenue. And, and I think another example is if we look at like Genoscopy in St. Louis, we made a small investment in them in maybe 2019 or so. They're now at the point, so we're what, we'll call it five years, uh, just to make time easy. They're now about five years after our first investment. They've raised, I think it's over $50 million. I think they're currently trying to raise over $100 million. 
they now have a product that I believe is getting ready for FDA approval. Um, and, and they're creating or, or they've developed competitive tests to Cologuard um, that they think is actually more effective and more efficient than, than the Cologuard test. But only recently have they really jumped up in actual employees. And I think they're above 50, maybe even starting to approach 60 employees. So, I mean, we made our first investment and it really took five years before you could look at them and say, they're a strong economic development impact. That first investment we made or that investment we made in them, like this was a strong economic, it, it took five years to get there. As you're aware, political cycles don't always run that, that quickly. So I think that's our hardest challenge is how do we say, well, in fiscal 24, we did X, Y, and Z, but you may not see the impact until fiscal 29 or fiscal 30. Does that ever impact an investment that you guys have? If if you're kind of in the middle of that kind of election cycle or political uh, changeover or however you want to put it, does that kind of, I guess the funding is set before, so I guess it wouldn't, but like, have you ever run into an issue where it's like, sorry guys, we can't really back you because of X, Y, Z? Governor Parson and, you know, over the past three or four years, the the General Assembly has been, you know, very appreciative and, and very supportive of MTC. But I think from probably 2018 to 2020, 2017 to, to 2020, there there were some rough times in there. Um, and, and we went from double-digit annual appropriation down to, you know, below $5 million annual appropriation. So where that then becomes a challenge is if, is if we're – doing work for 10 years, we can then point to the economic development impact of what we did five years ago today. But when we get into the peaks and valleys, it's a little hard to be able to show sustained success. I mean, all right, right now in fiscal year 24, I should be able to point to the investments and the grants we made in fiscal 2019, but that was a down year appropriation for us. So we didn't make as many investments or, or award as many grants. So we're a little off cycle. Now we're on an upswing and hopefully this, this allows us to be able to show strong economic development impact moving forward for the next five, six, seven years. And, and we can use that to leverage additional funding. But that's the biggest piece is when someone says, you got X amount of millions of dollars last year. What was the economic development impact? You know, a lot of times it's, well, we actually haven't fully expended it. We awarded two-year grants. So the grants haven't even been fully expended or we awarded funding to companies, but they have a year to find the matching fund. So we still haven't even closed all of our investments. So it really is a, well, I can tell you in five years what the impact of what I did in fiscal 23 is. A couple of questions that just kind of yeah. coming in my mind based on challenges. Mm-hmm. I don't know if these are real challenges yeah. for you guys or not, but you'll tell me. Do you guys ever run into an issue where you have, you know, however many people apply for mm-hmm. a grant cycle or, or funding that's available where you look at the lineup or the board is looking at the lineup of, of the business and they're saying, Ugh, I don't know if we want to invest in any of these, or you have so many that seem really good and you can't give it to everybody. I came in, I believe it was February of 2020, which is again, when we were kind of in, in a bit of a down cycle. So my first couple of years, we had the latter. We didn't have enough money to award to all of the qualified you know, applicants, whether it be uh, ESO applying for a grant or whether it be early stage, you know, high tech company applying for investment. 
So those are some very difficult decisions that our investment committee was making, including things like, well, what if we do some partial funding or what if we only award one year and maybe we get a bigger budget next year and then they can come back for year two and maybe even year three next year. So those are some tricky challenges to navigate of how do we take a limited pool of capital? How do we make sure it's being spread across the state? But how do we make sure it's going to the most impactful places? And, and that was, again, on both the direct investment side and also on the, the grant-based entrepreneurial capacity support side. Those were tough. The last probably year to 18 months, we've, we've had two strong years of appropriations from, from the General Assembly and, and with support from the governor's office. So we've actually been in the opposite where we've actually at the end of these meetings had surplus and said, you know, we're specifically going to roll this money over to the next time we meet because we just didn't see the qualified businesses or the qualified, you know, grant proposals to award it all. And it's better for us to make sure we're rolling it forward and only putting money in the strongest opportunities as opposed to just, you know, for lack of a term, being Oprah and you get a grant and you get a grant and you get a grant and you get a grant. Or, you know, you get investment. It's been an interesting switch to watch our investment committee go from, man, how do we spread this peanut butter as evenly across as possible to say, we can now actually pick the best opportunities. So we've kind of gone down some some tangents. We've kind of gotten (laughs) away from the implementation plan before we wrap up here. Is there anything else about the plan that we didn't discuss that you think people should know about? I mean, I would just say high level, you know, every year we put this out. And the goal is so that at any point in time, anyone can know what our focus is near term and can see what we did. So, I mean, there will be another one next fall for fiscal year 25 and, and, and going forward. And again, this is an effort for us to be as transparent as possible about where the money we've been awarded for that fiscal year will be going and be able to show exactly what impact we had with the previous fiscal year's um, appropriation. If anyone listening wants to view, read, have find the plan, where can they find it? It's on our website. So you can get both the full Catalyze Innovation Report, which is like 150 pages. There's the executive summary of the Catalyze Innovation Report, which is like 20 pages, which I and lots of pictures and infographics, and, and I would suggest people read that. You can also get fiscal year 23, so last year's implementation plan, and then this year's implementation plan. And our website is, I believe, MissouriTechnology.com. Kind of wrap up here with one question. You had mentioned in the discussion about challenges with political and like when you're asked about economic impact and whatnot. Mm -hmm. In relation to that, how does MTC contribute to the overall economic development and impact of Missouri? Yeah, so I'll I'll do this quickly. And for anyone who wants the longer one, Eric asked me a similar question on my last podcast. The best way to look at this is economic development uh, kind of has, it's a three-tiered stool. And so when you look at it, as you boil it down to its simplest, how do you create a new job in a region? And that region could be a city, could be a county, could be a state, or could be the United States. And, and the answer is there's only three ways to create a new job. The first is you take an existing business and you increase its capacity so that it can then hire new people. And that's what the Department of Economic Development does. And they are very good at it. And they've got a bunch of different programs ranging from grant programs to workforce development programs to community revitalization to everything that you could possibly need from a community or from a business standpoint to expand the current capacity of the businesses in in your region. So that's the first way is you literally take an existing business and you allow them to create new jobs. The second is you move a job from another region into your region. 
And that's what our friends over at Missouri Partnership, Subash Alias, that's, that's their job. Their job is to recruit companies to Missouri. They do a fantastic job at it, and they could be recruiting large companies like new Amazon distributions, or it could be, you know, creating smaller companies. And, and I think just at the you know, past Governor's Conference on Economic Development, you know, everyone was celebrating a, a big win about bringing um, a cattle processing plant expansion from, I think it was Minnesota to uh, outside Warrington, and that that was a huge, huge win for economic development. Great small family-owned business, but huge impact, loves the community that they're in. And, and so again, that's the other way to create a job is literally bring a new job in. The third, and this is what MTC does, is we help build new companies. Well, if you build new companies, by definition, every job they create is a new job. So again, if you look at it, there's three ways to create jobs. You expand the hiring capacity of your current employers, you bring new employers into your region, or you create new companies in your region, and then those new companies create new jobs. So that's our economic development impact is how do we help Missourians build companies and then grow those companies in Missouri? And we work in partnership with Missouri Partnership and DED because you need to be active on all three fronts in order to, to have a healthy economy. Perfect way to sum it up. Jack, thank you so much for taking time again to sit down with us and line out all this great stuff from MTC. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Eco Devo. We have great episodes coming your way every two weeks, so be sure to subscribe. Also, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Tell us what economic development topics you want to hear more about. This helps us fulfill our motto of helping Missourians prosper by bringing content to our listeners that they want to hear. Leave a comment on an episode or send an email to ded.communications at ded.mo.gov and stay tuned for more Inside Eco Devo.